Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we ask that you would bless your word to our hearts today, Lord, as we consider it. Lord, help us to take it home uh, with us, Lord, and contemplate it, as the psalmist says, even on our bed. Lord, we thank you that you are so good to us and that, Lord, uh, your spirit is at work in us if we have received you as Savior and Lord, and, and we just ask you to bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I didn't have a specific topic or book in the Bible that I felt I must go through as I prepared this sermon. I finished 2 Corinthians and was wondering what to do next, and nothing came to me. And when that happens, I usually default to the lectionary even in the summertime. Uh, but I have to admit, when I came to the lectionary readings this time around in the Gospel of John, my first thought was to pass on it. It's much easier to preach on things that Jesus took the time to explain than it is passages like this that he did not explain. And it can become more of a guessing game or take lots of research and, and dependence on different commentators who sometimes seem to be guessing as well. But that is not how it's supposed to be. As Jesus said just after this, this passage, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, and they should come alive when we read them prayerfully. The Apostle Paul said, We impart a secret and hidden wisdom which God decreed before the ages for our glory. 1 Corinthians 2.7 He went on in verse 10 to say, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the person's thoughts, except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God, except the Spirit of God. He went on, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So I hope you are spiritual today as you listen to God's word, because as the Apostle Paul goes on, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So choosing to preach on a passage like this obviously takes faith, trusting that the Holy Spirit will both use me to preach on it and enlighten you to understand it. And that's why we pray before um, we dive into uh, something like this. Now, if you haven't noticed, these words of Jesus are rather offensive. And he means them to be offensive. And this, of course, is, is not the only place where Jesus offends. He offends uh, in the gospel um, in a lot of places. Uh, he offends both those who like him and those who do not. He offends friends and enemies. So it all comes down to this. 
Well, do we serve him and submit to him anyhow, believing that he is who he says he is, God, the Son, and that he is good and right always, even when we are offended? Do we believe that or do we not? Well, the easy way to explain these words of Jesus, which appalled and offended uh, the Jewish people of Jesus' time, is to bring them into our time and into our context and speak of Holy Communion. And yes, Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus gets very close to what this passage says, speaking about communion. After blessing and breaking the bread, Matthew tells us, Jesus gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's from Matthew 26, 26 to 28. But the passage that we are looking at today is not from the Gospel of Matthew. It is from the Gospel of John. And John's Gospel does not include the words of the Last Supper. If it did, we would understand that this is what the passage is all about. But since John did not include it, we must wonder, is this really all that this passage is about? And that is likely not the case. These words, like all the words that Jesus spoke, are living and active, and they have multiple purposes depending upon whom Jesus is speaking to. They have deep meaning that must be spiritually discerned. And sometimes, as we know, he spoke in parables so that people who were not seeking God would not discern what he was saying. Well, here he was speaking to disciples who were not his true disciples. And we should see from the context of which the words were spoken, that the words have more to do with separating them out of and from Jesus's true disciples than they do of explaining the covenant of communion. But that's in there too. Well, the context began earlier in this chapter with a miracle. Jesus feeding 5,000 from five loaves of bread and two fish. And it continued on with another miracle, Jesus crossing a great body of water without using a boat. Now, let's read from John 6, 24 to get that context. So when the crowd saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So Jesus was telling these people who were seeking him and following after him that, they, that their motive in seeking him was not the right one. They were not seeking him because of who he was, who he had revealed himself to be by the supernatural signs of God that he performed, which proved his own divinity. Rather, they were seeking him because of the miracles that he had done uh, because they had benefited them personally and they wanted more benefit. Now those miracles had given them temporal benefits for sure, which represented to them temporal security here on earth. And that is what they were concerned with. That's what they wanted from Jesus. That is what they were after Jesus for, and he pointed it out. But let me ask you, where are those people today? Where are those people uh, who Jesus was talking to? Well, they're all long dead. What is that temporal security that they were after worth to them now? Well, nothing at all. And that's why Jesus said in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes. You know, that's, that should not have been their motive in pursuing Jesus. In other words, don't make temporal security a priority over eternal security. Eternal security is what counts. Eternal security is what Jesus came to provide ultimately. And what Jesus was saying was don't try and keep up with me simply for the temporal benefits that I might provide. Though they do come, you will sometimes be disappointed. They're not always what you want. So Jesus is saying rather work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's Jesus of course, will give to you. He's saying follow him for relationship. That relationship leads to eternal life, to eternal security. And that is what Jesus was telling them that they should be going after. And the same goes for us today, of course. Relationship to Jesus as Savior and Lord is eternal security. All else is the wrong basis for life. And as I shared last week, temporal benefits were what many people were following Jesus for in the 70s and 80s when I was um, a teen um, with the Name It, Claim It, or Health, Wealth, Prosperity gospel that was being preached by, by many. And unfortunately, it still has some promoters today, but its basis is all wrong. It's self, not Christ, and that's dangerous. And Jesus is showing that even here back then. As the people who he was speaking to in our text are, are now long gone from this earth, we can easily see that Jesus was right, that they should have listened to Jesus, and so should we. We should all keep an eternal perspective always. Why are people so blind 
to eternity as we as they walk this earth you know life is very short I found out just last week that my best friend had passed away this summer in Aurelia Ontario and this man had lived longer than than most do 87 years but it didn't seem so much like uh, so long to me because I only met him when he was 56 years old that's three years younger than I am myself right now and he became my best friend he affirmed me like my own father never had and I needed that and I thrived under his Christian tutelage and and grew into my first ministry leading experience with with him as my mentor he was my also my best man at my wedding and we had been friends for 30 years but how fast those 30 years went by in the same number of years I'll be turning 90 that really you know makes me think I'm heading for the grave folks and we are all heading for the grave if Christ doesn't come first don't let anyone fool you and yet the world in which we live in is trying to get us not to think about that not to think about death or 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 the afterlife and to focus on false security here and now but an eternal perspective is the only thing that will really cause us to consider God you know Billy Graham knew that and I remember watching him speak to a packed stadium of some 50,000 or or so and telling them statistically how many of them would be alive in that same stadium if they were to return in a mere 50 years and it was sobering not too many of them would return but for some reason we don't normally think that way even now during this pandemic but Jesus wants us to Jesus said work for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you for on him God the Father has set his seal well then they said to him in verse 28 what must we do to be doing the works of God and Jesus answered them this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent that's what God wants us to do to have faith in his son to believe in his son Jesus Christ who he sent from heaven to this earth verse 30 so they said to him then what sign do you do that we might may see and believe you what work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, right there, we can see that these people obviously didn't believe in Jesus Christ, that he was sent from God because Jesus had just given them a few very big signs. He had just miraculously fed 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish and crossed the stormy sea without a boat and yet they asked him to show them another sign that he was sent from God they must have thought he was a magician or something and so was Moses 
signs obviously didn't do it for them. And what they wanted was not even a sign. What they really wanted was more bread. They wanted what their fathers had had in the wilderness, food security. But they didn't realize that that type of security comes with a wilderness experience as well. It came with a price and, and what a price to pay. What a disaster that was. As the psalmist said, he gave them their desire and sent leanness into their souls. Psalm 106, 15. Corruptible bread had been provided by God for their father's mere survival in the desert for 40 years as, as discipline because they had refused to obey God and enter the promised land. And that was not a good thing. It is never a good thing to settle for less than God wants for us. But that's what they wanted, these people who were coming after Jesus. And in verse 32, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. They had missed the fundamental truth that what God the Father, not Moses, had provided was not supernatural bread from heaven. It was corruptible bread for physical sustenance only. And God the Father was providing that, but now he was providing something infinitely better. Verse 33, Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Not knowing what Jesus was talking about, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus offered it to them. In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And that's spiritually speaking, of course. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. So that had been the test, the test that they had already failed because they had seen Jesus. They were actually speaking to him right then and there, and they did not believe that he was divine. They did not believe that he had come from heaven. Why not, we must ask? Well, because their hearts were focused inward focused on self-preservation and not focused outward on God and on his salvation in complete dependence on him by faith in Jesus. And Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So they were looking at Jesus, but they were not believing in him. So the Jews grumbled about him, verse 41, because he said, I am the bread, of, bread that came down from heaven. 
They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? These people were thinking in the natural. They were using their common sense. They didn't believe at all what Jesus was saying. They, they could have probably asked Joseph and Mary of their experience if they had really wanted to know about Jesus's uh, birth, but they did not. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts and what they were saying, could have also answered their questions right then and there, telling them of his pre-incarnation and, and his incarnation, but Jesus chose not to because he knew that they wouldn't believe him. He simply answered, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we see in that that it's a matter of divine intervention coming to Jesus. It is up to the Father to draw all when he chooses to do so. And we are at his mercy, whether we like it or not. And we should beg him for mercy. Jesus said, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. That's from Isaiah 54. Um, Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, Jesus said. Well, let me ask you, have you, have you heard and learned from the Father. Then speaking of himself, Jesus said, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Well, I I want to quickly read the rest of the passage that that leads up to our text today, um, continuing on from verse 47. Of John of John 6 Jesus said truly truly I say to you whoever believes has eternal life I am the bread of life your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die I am the living bread that came down from heaven If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, the body in in biblical terms consists of flesh and spirit. And the pre-incarnate word, Jesus, which became a human, already had a spirit his divine spirit. And his also was the very word that spoke every material thing into existence from the beginning of creation. If you think of it, he even spoke his own body to come into existence. He took on the flesh that he created to be able to live a perfect life and die a perfect sacrifice for us in our sins. That is how Jesus gave of his flesh. That is the only way 
we who are of this world and not divine could ever have eternal life. That is to partake of him who was sacrificed for us. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, it was hyperbole and, and yet they didn't understand that. Um, just like Nicodemus didn't when Jesus said, you must be born again. It was hyperbole and, and yet not as Jesus is the author of all. But Jesus didn't even try to explain that to them because they did not have in them what it takes to understand. They didn't have the drawing of the Father. They had not heard and learned from the Father. They had not faith in Jesus being divine or being sent from God. So Jesus just went ahead and spoke those hard words and they were to separate. He spoke those hard words, not explaining how it was so, spiritually speaking. Verse 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him well if we read on 10 verses later we we read in verse 66 after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him so these had been disciples. These were not Pharisees and Sadducees. These people were trying to follow Jesus, but something was wrong. Their motive was wrong. Their motive was self-preservation and not knowing God and his provision, his salvation for them. And because of that, Jesus didn't even try to explain himself or his incarnation or his sacrifice to come at this time. He doesn't use apologetics on them or on anyone for that matter. He simply says what he says. And he says things that are impossible to humanly understand, even offensive. And he leaves it at that. He left the explanation for later, even for those who stayed with him as his disciples, despite them not understanding his words. They simply understood that he was from God and they trusted him and followed him. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And that's really all that any of us can say at times when we don't 
understand what God is saying or what God is doing. So what was the good of what Jesus said then? Well, for them, it was only for separation. Separation of the false disciples from the true ones for the sake of the true ones. Separating those who believed in Jesus and wanted relationship with Jesus forever from those who wanted him just for the temporal benefits. But all of what we read today is for us as well. So how do we eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood? Yes, in communion, but more than the Holy Communion that we uh, now have once a month in our church. It's communion daily. It's trusting him daily with everything. It's coming to fellowship with him daily in prayer, saying, feed me or I die, in true dependence on him for life. Jesus said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Well, these expressions of Jesus represent the spiritual supernatural work that he did and the spiritual supernatural work that he does in us believing in him and receiving Jesus by faith. They require interaction with Jesus, acknowledging that he is the source of our life and acknowledging our absolute dependence on him for all and thanking him for all that he has given to us. It is believing that without his body broken for us and his blood shed for us, that there is no life in us. And it is acting on that fact in faith each moment of our lives. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again for this opportunity to look at your word and to receive your word. Lord, to be, Lord, part of you and you part of us, Lord. We thank you so much that we can be united, Lord, in you with the Father and the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you reconciled our relationship to the Father when we failed so miserably. Thank you so much for your incarnation, your life, and your death on the cross for our salvation. Lord, we thank you that you were resurrected, Lord, because death could not keep you in the grave, Lord. You were resurrected and you ascended to glory on high, Lord, with the Father, and you pour out your Holy Spirit upon your church, those who believe in you, that we might, Lord, already experience life eternal. Thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.